influence our kids in a right direction or we can influence our kids in a wrong direction. And sometimes we can influence our kids a lot of times in ignorance <laughs> because we haven't been taught from our own mamas how we need to raise our families. That's kind of the case we have seen probably over the years is that, and really, tell you the truth, you know where it starts from? It starts from right here in the pulpit. <laughs> as we take the scriptures apart, as we try to teach folks how to be a parent, I think so many years ago, and I don't take anything away from the preachers of old, but there were some things that they just didn't talk about in the pulpit, uh, like sex and relationships and stuff like that. Sometimes they didn't talk about that. Sometimes they took books and made in allegories instead of bringing some practicalness into the home, you know, of what God requires and what God orders. And so we live in a world today that is kind of chaotic and confused, amen? amen. We see it all the way around, right? And I want to encourage all of our mamas today. I want to encourage all of you women. But this message is not just for the mamas. It's for all the men here and online. Appreciate you all being online this morning. Listen, today I want us to look at the life of Hannah. The great life of Hannah. And how she dealt with life, especially when things were not so good in her own life. I mean, there were things that were not very good in her life. And it breaks my heart. The story of Hannah in the Bible can be a very sad story that in the end turns out to be kind of glad for her. Amen? Very glad for her. But her gladness, as you will see, will turn to inexpressible joy, but probably not in the way that you would imagine. Because I know how you're imagining it this morning. Especially if you haven't been able to have kids and you want to have a child. There is so much to the story, and this I can't get through all of the story today, but we can get through some of it today, amen? God sets everything in motion from the beginning, listen, until the end of this world, right? He sets everything in motion. Uh, he, he is our divine designer. He is the one that orchestrates our footsteps. The Bible teaches us that the footsteps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. God orders everything. And it's really amazing the type of God that we have. Listen, you and I are part of God's plan. Sitting here today, we're all part of God's plan. Amen? We are. The truth is God doesn't need you and I to fulfill His plan. But He does want you and I to participate and would be the joy of His heart for each of us to follow His lead. Right? Not our lead, but His lead. And it's something for us to kind of get a grasp a hold of. So let's read together this wonderful Mother's Day. It's a story. In 1 Samuel, turn to 1 Samuel, chapter 1. You should have a note sheet in the back of your Sunday paper. There's a few fill-in-the-blanks there. But listen, I just want you to write down, mamas, I want you to really listen close to this message today. I want it to really bless your heart today. Mamas, you matter. You matter today. You matter when you were raising your kids. No matter how good, bad, indifferent, whatever you were taught, that's what you shared with your kids. And you know, and you do the very best that you can. I know there's probably moms out there feel like they failed their kids. They failed their kids. And there might be some respect that maybe they did, you know. But maybe there was aspects where they didn't know what to do. Maybe they had to jump with both feet in it and go after it the best way that they knew how. Maybe you were never introduced to Jesus during that time. Maybe you didn't get saved and you didn't understand the Word of God. But listen, mamas, you matter. You matter. First Samuel chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Now 
there was a certain, and forgive my pronunciations of these words, certain man from Ramathaim Sophim, from the hill country of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jerhom, who is son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, and Ephraimite. Anybody got that name in this room? That's interesting, right? Those are interesting names, right? Hmm. Now listen to this in verse 2. He had two wives. Well, here's a problem right there from the get-go, right? See that? <laughs> right, right from the get-go, right? He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the others was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts. Listen, in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, they were rascals, you hear me? They were not good, they were rascals, right? They were priests to the Lord there. And when the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah. But the Lord had closed her womb. The Lord has a purpose for everything. Her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. It happened year after year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her so she wept and would not eat. I can't imagine. I can't imagine a little bit what it would be like for mama not to be able to have a child. The Lord blessed us with uh, a lot of children, but actually one child, uh, uh, Philip, my son. Uh, In fact, it wasn't long after uh, she gave birth to my son that she was diagnosed with endometriosis, if you ladies know what that is. And so at the age of, what was it, 20, she had to have a, uh, she had like a partial hysterectomy. And so, therefore, we couldn't have any more children. I mean, they did it partially, hoping we could have more children. And then a year after that surgery, it came back again, and they had to do a full, complete hysterectomy. And so, and so, and I know it sat in her heart. Because we had this grandioso plan of having a lot of children, right? But see, this is how God is. God is so good. And I want you to be encouraged, whether you had children or didn't have children. Listen. You're on God's timetable. You're on God's plan. And he loves you more than you can ever think or imagine. But he has a purpose and a plan for everything. So we weren't able to have any more children biologically, right? And so later on, as we went on and I got out of the service, I went into the ministry. And lo and behold, I became a youth pastor. And we started here in Floral City. In fact, one of my former youth was sitting right back there in the middle with his mama. I'm so proud of you, Jaybird. And that's why he's called Jason. And so, you know, and it's what a surprise to have him here this morning. What a good young man. I still see you. You look the same, dude, except for the extra hair and the, the fur on your face, right? And when I saw him, he was a little fellow, seventh grade, eighth grade, right? So there he was, you know. And uh, But love the Lord. Love Jesus. You should see it all over. He'd radiate Jesus over his face and everything. You still do, brother. And I appreciate you so much for being here this morning. It's so cool. Amen. But, uh, you know, and, but God gave us a lot of young people. 
It gives about, there's about, I think at the end we had about 45 kids or so in Coral City. And then we left there and did youth ministry up in North Carolina in Fayetteville. And we walked into a ministry that had about 90 to 100 kids. And so we spent 14 years there ministering to 100 plus kids for those 14 years that we were there. So we have a lot of children, not just our own. Huh? What's that? We claim them as our children. That's right. We do. We do. And we still stay in touch with them. And some of them have had the privilege of uh, officiating their weddings. And Man, what a joy in my heart, you know, to do that. So it's really, uh, it's really special if we would just uh, think about the influence that we have. Uh, and the fact that we could have children. Hannah was barren and incapable of bearing children. Verse 2 kind of tells us that. According to the Jewish Talmud, though, which is the Jewish law, oral law, a person who could not bear children was considered, get this, as good as dead. As good as, that's hard, isn't it? A woman who was barren was considered as good as dead. And I'm going to explain why. Barrenness was even legitimate grounds for a divorce. You know that? Back years ago, right? Now, it was crucial in those Jewish days for families to have tons of kids. Lots of kids. And here are three reasons. three reasons why. See, the first one is this. They saw children as an essential part of the good life. And there's three reasons why they saw it as a good life to have a bunch of kids. Number one, the more sons a person had, the more potential laborers for working in the field, working in the land. So that's number one. The more kids you have, the more you can put them to work. Don't you love that? Idea? I remember my mama put me to work. I did a lot of things I didn't like to do growing up, but I'm grateful for it today. One of the things I really hated to do was she used to clean houses sometimes, and some of the people's houses clean were pretty extravagant houses, but she would have us outside pulling weeds out of their garden beds. Man, I was out there all day, hot suns, pulling weeds. But you know what? I think back and I think, those were precious times. The greater the crop yield would be, the greater the income of the family would be. You see how this works? And listen, and the higher the family status was in the Jewish community. That's what would happen. Number two, Hannah had no, get this, retirement plan. Right? No Social Security, no 401K. No, sir, they didn't have any of that. Think about this. The children were her retirement plan. The children were a retirement plan. The more children a couple had, the more likely that couple will be taken care of in their old age. Amen? It's amazing. Number three. Having children was a necessity for the survival of the nation. It was a necessity for the survival of the nation. Man, listen, think about the economy, the military. They were completely dependent on having a large number of children. Look at Israel today. Man, they're packed in there, buddy. And they're getting larger and larger and larger to protect their land, protect their homeland. It's amazing. So bearing children was a life and death issue for the Jews. It was. For the family, for the nation, right? Women who bore many children were like heroes of the nation. 
The women that bore, listen, children were heroes of the nation. Women with no children felt useless. Listen to this, experiencing shame, pity rather than respect. So in the Bible, barrenness is an effective metaphor for hopelessness. Hopelessness. No foreseeable future for a woman who is barren. Here's a little side note I wanted to bring to our attention today. Today, however, not many people think this way about children today. We had a walk yesterday, right? To uphold the rights of little babies who are unborn. We tend to put more value, listen, in the kind of job a person has. Think about this. Even with our children. We put more value on where a person went to school or how a person looks. But let's look at Hannah's perspective. She can't have any kids. She can't have kids, especially in a culture that puts all women's security significance in their children. That's what they did. She can't have kids. So she has no significance, no life, no hope in that nation. Making matters worse, her husband's other wife, Penina, had lots and lots of children. Boys and girls. And every day, listen, Hannah is reminded of what a failure she is. It's rubbing her face daily. In verse 6, listen, it says, Penina provoked her. In Hebrew expression, that word provoked, listen, is, uh, is to thunder or to roar like a storm. Provoking her. Hannah's emotions, listen, were thundering and roaring like a storm. That's the way Hannah felt. This was a continual harassment. And she was so depressed, so depressed, she refused to eat anything in verse 7. Can you imagine her laying awake in the bed at night, listen, in despair, feeling like a broken, like our, like our video, a broken, hopeless failure. Sad, right? Look, her husband, her husband tries to make her feel better, right? Look at verse 8. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, I wouldn't recommend this, guys. Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat and why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Interesting. He is trying to be a good guy. I give him that. But it's not working. It's just not working. He's trying to offer Hannah romantic salvation. But it's not filling the void. Listen to this. That's in her very soul. Why? Why doesn't it fill it? Because it doesn't address her hurt deep inside. Year after year, for her, it's been a real problem. Every year. Still, she finds her rival, Panina, surrounding her. And this tells her that she will never be valuable. She will never be valuable. Day in and day, unless we do or achieve certain things. And this is what it's telling her. It's what it's teaching her. I won't be valuable unless I do certain things or have certain things. But that's not in God's economy. So, when we fail to live up to the expectations, what happens? We feel worthless. Hear me, mothers. 
We feel worthless, jealous, and dissatisfied. We may think that good romance and exciting sex will be better to us than ten sons. Doesn't happen. This is what our culture tells us every single day. Our culture tells our kids this, our grandkids this, our great-grandkids this. Listen, it tells all of us this if we pay attention to it. That love is all you need. This is what our culture tells us. Listen, the movies and the music and the stage, everywhere, it tells us everywhere we see, everywhere we look. Love is all you need. But the end is tragedy. The end is tragedy. No human relationship can ever bear the burden of needing the God of the universe to fill our soul. We need God to fill our soul. And this is a message that I want you mamas to understand in this. Others try to dull the pain through drugs and alcohol. And deep down we know that no human romance can fulfill us. None. It cannot. It falls way short. No drug can satisfy us. No amount of distrust can protect us. Listen, we end up clinging to saviors that have absolutely no power. You see that? We see it all around us. You may see it in your own life. We do this because we feel that it's the best option at the time. What else can I do? What else can I do? You see, Mama, Mom's Hannah's story, her pain, and her vain attempts to mask the pain is replicated in each one of us, even the men. It is replicated in all of us. We don't measure up. Dads, you ever had that? What are you doing, son? You ever dad smack your papa on the head? I'm guilty of doing that to my own son. Son, what were you thinking? Wrong. It's not the way to love your kids. And you pay for it later. So, moms, I want us to look and see at Hannah's turning point. You want to see that? Hannah's turning point on this Mother's Day, right? Look at 1 Samuel, look at verse 9. Then Hannah rose, underscore Hannah rose, after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She greatly distressed. She prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. Do you see Hannah's turning point here? Her turning point was what? The term Hannah rose. That's why I want you to underline it. Hannah rose. In the original Hebrew, that is a decisive decision that she made to turn, to do something different, to repent. And then right at that moment, she made a determination to turn, to do something different. Hannah got up and resolved and made a choice. Something had to change. So what changed? What changed? There is a vow that she uttered at the end of this that made all the difference. In fact, there are two features of her prayer she offered, and they are very, very important. The first one... She petitioned out to God to what? Remember her. See that? 
Remember her. Hannah perceives that God cares for her broken heart. She would have never done that. Barren, farm girl, who everyone says is a failure, she perceives that God does truly care for her. She is revealing a belief that the Lord of hosts is a God who cares, listen, for small, broken, failed people. You ever feel that way? God cares for you. Look at what she's saying. God is so compassionate and good that he cares for even Hannah when a whole nation turns their back on her. God cares for her in spite of her. That's why you can't go by what everybody's saying around you. Quit looking at your problems. Quit looking at your naysayers around you. Quit looking around you. Look to the one who gave you life and breath. Look to the one who created you out of his precious image. Look to the one who loves you more than anything else that he would die on a cross for you. This is the crux of this whole message here today. None of us should feel broken. None of us should feel like failures. None of us should feel worthless. I don't care what maybe former mamas told you or daddies. or I don't care what happened to you. You're not a failure and you're not broken. When you have God, you have everything that you need. And it's important for us to see that and understand it this morning. But God remembered her. God never forgot her. Listen, God is so compassionate that he cares for her. This is faith in God's goodness and grace for her. It's faith in God's goodness and grace that he is certainly a good God full of what? Compassion and an ever-present help for the weak. That's God. That's the God that we serve. Ladies, that's the God we serve. He loves you. In Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. Man, this is when Moses was up in the mountain. And God told him to whom these uh, tablets out of the stone, right? And then God walks in front of Moses, by Moses, right? And listen to what he says in verse 6. Then the Lord passed by in front of him. And this is what God proclaimed. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, for thousands, for millions, for billions. His loving kindness is for thousands who forgives iniquity. He forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. He forgives. Yet, he will by no means leave guilty unpunished. There's always consequences to our sin. Amen? Amen. Visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Because when there's no God in a home, what is passed down to the next generation? No God. And when that generation gets no God, guess what? The next one gets no God. Man, we are, we're like, in fact, I think we're even more so now. I said you should say as you go, like we're one generation from a pagan society. And we truly are. We're right there. We're at the precipice. Now Hannah's faith, listen, was well-pleasing to God. Hear me. She's in the temple crying out to the Lord, and it's well-pleasing to him. In Hebrews 11:6, listen to what the Bible says. And without faith is what? Impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is what? He is a rewarder of those who what? 
who seek him. Do you seek him? You seek him daily? You seek him every day? See, God remembered Hannah. Actually, God never forgot Hannah. Hannah remembered God. And that's what we can do. Listen, don't ever forget God. He's there. When you're in the midst of it, when it hurts the best, when it's the deepest, sulkiest hurt that you've ever had, listen, know that God is right there with you. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He is as close as a mention of His name. Go to Him first. Quit trying to fix your problems first without going to Him. Fix it first. Let Him fix it. Let Him work it. His power is supernatural. And He puts that supernatural power. The Spirit of God is in you, with you, and upon you. To lead you to all truth. None of us in this room know how to lead our own life. We need Jesus to teach us how we should walk. How we should talk. How we should live. Amen? Amen. We need to do that. So God, Hannah asks God to remember her. Number two, Hannah offers, listen to what Hannah does. To give back to God any son that he gives to her. Hmm. Notice the scripture said, And a razor shall never come on his head in verse 11. A razor would never come on his head. Hannah is invoking what they call the Nazarite vow. Her son would leave the family to serve the living God in the temple of God for the rest of his life. She is turning everything over to him, to God. This was a special provision for those in Jewish nation who wanted to serve God as a priest. And normally only the sons born in the house of Levi were the ones that would serve. The priestly tribe. But those outside the Levitical tribe, listen, could serve, but they had to take what they call the Nazarite vow. And it was a temporary thing. This would consecrate him to God for his holy purpose. In fact, in the book of Numbers, chapter 6, it talks about the requirements and the details for the Nazarite vow. Numbers chapter 6. This vow was effective for a certain amount of time. In fact, you may not know this, but the Apostle Paul took this vow. Did you know that? Apostle Paul took this vow in Acts 18.18. Paul, having remained many days longer to leave, listen, took leave of the brethren and put out to the sea for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila, right? And Sentry, right, he had his hair cut, for he was keeping a vow. However, what Hannah is doing, listen, here is consecrating her son. For his entire life. His whole life. This is similar to what Samson's parents did, right? When instructed by the angel to consecrate him for his whole life for service as a warrior. In the book of Judges, chapter 13, it says, verses 4 and 5, it says, Now therefore be careful not to drink wine or strong drink. Nor eat any unclean thing. For behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son. And no razor shall come upon his head. We know where he got his strength from. For the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. But Samson violated his oath. 
He did. You know also that John the Baptist, John the Baptist also was a lifelong Nazarite. John the Baptist. Luke 1.15 For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and he will drink no wine or liquor and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. You see, when Hannah takes this vow, it means giving up all claims. She gives up all claims, listen, to her son in order to let him live in the temple and serve holy God. That's what he does. This vow moved people out of their families. So this means that Hannah renounces everything, think about this, that would have been valuable about having a son. All those things I mentioned. Her son would never grow up in her house. Think about that. He would not be an emotional support for her. He would not. He would be not be available to take care of her when she turned old. This is what this means and what she's doing. He would have no land inheritance, just, just as Levites had no land inheritance in Israel. Hannah prayed for a son, but laid aside every benefit, listen, a son could have given her. Yet Hannah went her way and it says that she ate, right? She went and ate, right? Her face no longer sad in verse 18. No longer sad. She went away and she ate. No longer sad. In other words, she rejoiced even before she had a son. Think about that. She rejoiced before she even had a son. Why is that? Here's the key. I don't want you to miss it, ladies, gentlemen. Don't miss this. Hannah's joy was no longer dependent, listen, on obtaining a son. Her joy didn't come from obtaining a son. No. Where's her joy come from? Hannah's joy is now found solely in who? The God of her salvation. Solely in the God of her salvation. She is satisfied. She's full of joy. Not about having a son, but the fact that salvation has come to her soul and she knows God as her Savior. The God of her salvation. In fact, we know this because in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, listen to what, listen to what, what it says in 1 Samuel 2.1. It says, Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. Amen. You hear that? Now this discovery finds, listen, anchor in her soul. Listen, to a, a rock that quiets every storm in her life. The rock of Jesus, the rock of God, Amen. her salvation. In fact, in 1 Samuel 2, 2, she says, There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Now listen, we may expect the order to be like this. And I kind of put this up here. The order we may anticipate is, number one, Hannah prays. Number two, Hannah gets pregnant. And number three, Hannah is joyful and the storms of her life dissipate. Right? But that's not what the order is in the scripture. This is the way we think most of the times. And then she lives happily ever after, right? No. 
But something different appears in this story. Instead of the order listed above, we find that here's the order. Number one, Hannah prays. Number two, Hannah is joyful. She is joyful in the God of her salvation. And then number three, Hannah gets pregnant. Isn't that awesome? Listen, the order of events is not empty. Hannah found joy and deep faith, and she found her deepest needs met in the God of her salvation. How precious is that? Faith-filled Hannah has found a source of joy and security greater than the hope of her sons. God himself is what she found. God comes into her. Do you sense the excitement she pours forth in her prayer in chapter 2? Do you? Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is strength. Her strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. Amen. None of us should feel broken. None of us should feel battered or abused or at all. If God is your salvation, you got everything you need. You got the audience of one. And He takes care of you. He orders your footsteps every single time. See, faith means rejoicing in God when our dreams are unfulfilled and resting on God when life is still falling apart all around us. But we have faith. We have great faith. Not little faith. Great faith. Do you have great faith this morning? Great faith. No matter what you see, no matter what you feel. I got a brother-in-law right now up in the hospital, in ER, struggling with his heart. He's got a disease called limbs, not limes, but it's limbs. It's a neurological disease where he can't feel his legs. And he has to make his brain tell his legs to move. And it affects so many things. And he's got some heart issues right now. He's up at Citrus. His name is Gary. But it doesn't matter. Listen, I'm going up to see him afterwards. I want to encourage him. doesn't matter what he sees, what he feels, what's happening. God is there with him. He knows the Lord. I praise the Lord for that. But we settle for second best when we have the very best. (laughs) You ever think about that? You know why? Because the old enemy gets you distracted. He makes you think of other things. He makes you look at your circumstances and your problems around you. Oh, they're so big. They're so massive. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And you're not even thinking about God. You need to get on your face and say, God, what can you do in this situation? How can you lead me in this situation? This is what Hannah did. Hannah goes to the temple and she prays. Faith means rejoicing in God, even when our dreams are unfulfilled. Hannah continues talking about God's unfathomable wisdom in her song. She talks about His great strength, His perfect beauty, His compassion for small, broken, and sinful people. And listen, this, she says, is the ultimate treasure. And because she found a God like that, she no longer looks to children to supply her with value and worth. Amen? No longer looking to having a son Listen, this was the moment of Hannah's repentance and salvation right here. She found her life. She got up. 
She got up and she turned away from all that mess that she was thinking and chased after the Lord. She found her light. She found her security. She found her identity, her significance in God. And she was finally set free from her bondage to the idolatry of family. You know, family, you know, idolatry comes in a lot of different shapes. It's not just a statue sitting somewhere. You can have idolatry right there in your own home. It can be your family. You put your family before God. You put your wives and husbands before God. Our priorities must be right. Hannah still prays for a son, but her tone is completely different now. Her tone is like, God, I'm still asking you for a son as I have hundreds of times. But all my life I asked for you to give me a son. And then she changes it to make up for and she to, to make up for her deficiency in life. It has always been for me, and now she's asking one, one a son for who? For God. All the difference in the world. You, Lord, are now my sufficiency and my treasure. Is God your treasure? Is God your all-sufficiency? No matter what you see or go through? If you give me a son, he will belong solely to you, God. That's what she is saying. And God gave her a son. Why? Because her heart was right. Is your heart right? She named him Samuel. Why did she name him Samuel? His name means God has heard. <laughs> God has heard. Samuel grew up to be an outstanding prophet of God, a priestly figure, and almost a king of Israel in Samuel chapter 8. Although Samuel is great in the story of the scripture, he anoints another king later, right? There's another king coming later that Samuel anoints, and we know him to be David. Amen? So, I have a question. What made Hannah a great mother? What made Hannah a great mother? What made Hannah a great mother was she, she surrendered to God's authority and she got up. She didn't waller in her mess. She got up. When will we quit trying to fill your li- our lives with everything else on earth to try to make you happy and surrender to the will of God in heaven who can make all things brand new? Mama, Daddy, Grandpa, Grandma, Papa, Meemaw, Whatever your names are. I know there's a lot of different names out there. We serve a great big God who loves you to the extreme, to the max. He loves you not to leave you where you are. He doesn't want to leave you where you are. That's why I love this message. I think this message is a great message. You know, there's a lot of things as mothers that you can do to be a godly mother. Right? You can get your priorities right. Put God first. You can pray. Right? There's a lot of things that you can do to be a good mom. And we usually hear those every year. You can have a purpose. Right? You can have all different things going on in your life. And listen, and when God is first and rock solid, you're praying about it, and God leads your life, there's all these things you can do. But I want you to tell you, the most important thing is that you can be surrendered to a holy God. In the midst of the trials and the troubles and the problems, uh, the hopelessness, the helplessness, because God is, is, there's no hopelessness for God. There's no helplessness for God. God is everything. He knows what you need before you think and even ask it. He loves you enough to leave where you are. And when, when are we going to come and surrender? Give it up at the altar, right? When are we going to give it up at the altar? 
I'll let my praise team come up here. We're going to do a final song. And I'm going to give you a few moments here this morning. Maybe you need to come to an altar. Maybe you don't know Jesus. You ask Jesus to come in your heart and your life. He'll save you right where you're at. I don't know. Maybe you need to give some things to the Lord that maybe you should have given to him a long time ago. But maybe this morning God has placed something on your heart to give to him.